Hi, and welcome to the Digital Download Podcast, which is being brought to you by GDA's Marketing, Strategy and Digital Transformation Team, where our motto is working smarter, not harder. I'm Roisin Ordinez. I'm a senior product manager in the team, and I really do believe that digital transformation is the key to helping us engage with our customers better. As an organization, we are just at the start of something really special, and I am so excited about it. I want you to be excited about it too. And these podcasts are a way for us to share our vision with you. So I'm inviting you to take a pause from your day and spend some time listening to the latest thinking of digital transformation, both in and out of Experian. So here's a suggestion which will fit in with your New Year's resolutions, hopefully. Why don't you click the download button, download this podcast onto your phone, stick on some headphones, go outside, get some fresh air, get those steps in whilst we spend the next 30 to 40 minutes informing and hopefully inspiring you about all things digital. To find out more about digital transformation within Experian, or if you have any questions, comments, feedback after listening to the show, then please do get in touch. We'd really love to hear from you. So let's get down to business. Today's podcast is the first in our series and it focuses on customer experience, which definitely is a flavour of the month at Experian and for very good reason. Customer experience means our customer is at the heart of everything that we do. This session was recorded at the Digital Download event, which took place last year in October 2021. It features industry CX expert Tom Carpenter from Clarisys Consultancy. Enjoy. Very welcome along to today's Digital Download session. Um, So we've had some great sessions and actually what we're hearing so far with all of the other sessions is everybody's talking about CX um, and you know it's something at Experian I think over recent years we've started to pivot to focus more towards but Clarisys our market leading consultancy um, you you're founder and the head of the customer experience leg for Clarisys so we are in uh, yeah we're in great company with you today and um, I just wanted to start by um, you know yesterday was World CX Day um, so it's it's showing how across industries, across countries, it's you know it's a global it's a global movement. It's all about putting the customer front and center, isn't it? So I'd like to start talking about how digital can drive a better customer experience. Sure. So I thought I'll do a little bit more of an intro of myself and Clarisys in a moment, but I think I'd like to start by kind of setting the scene of customer experience and expectations of customers and how that's changing. Um, So probably most of us are used to um, kind of dealing with things digitally in our everyday lives. And I think that's meant that for all our customers, whether they're B2B or consumers, uh, B2C organizations, that we're just expecting there to be information readily available to us at any time. And COVID has proven to us as well that we can work remotely. It's face-to-face interactions are becoming much less crucial and important and actually people prefer the choice about whether they would like to interact uh, physically or virtually. So this means that organizations such as yourselves now need to be able to provide for customers 24-7. It could be that people work flexible time, they're logging on at six in the morning, some people might be on until late in the evening, people are all over the world. Teams now often operate um, in kind of multinational uh, situations where they're based anywhere in the world. So this means that they're just used to being on all of the time. And it is quite challenging physically to even offer that experience that you would have um, when people are always on and they're everywhere. 
So digital and physical are now very, very blurred. And although COVID has not been great for us, from a digital customer experience point of view, it's really accelerated people's understanding of how digital and physical combined. Um, so I think it's just important to kind of really understand that customers as so they're expecting to be able to interact with you in a multitude of ways at any time. That's just a given now. What they also expect, though, is for you to know something about them and adapt the way in which you interact with them to their personal needs. Now, obviously, physically, that's much easier to do. You build relationships with people. You understand how they work. Digitally, it's much more challenging. And we need to work out ways where we can kind of fabricate that same effect of physical digitally. And lots of people do this, as you've probably seen, by tracking cookies, for example, um, or learning about people's uh, job roles, their profiles, things about them, and using that information to offer them a more personalized experience. And I think the most challenging thing now is the expectation is that that transcends any interaction that they have with you, whether that's a initial marketing or sales type interaction, whether that's physical or virtual. So if you're talking to a person, you expect them to know about you. If you're interacting with an organization digitally, you would expect that experience to be personalized to you. That is now a given. We see that in our interactions with most of the digital tools we use and the big tech providers have made that an expectation for us. So that's kind of the scene setting of where we are now. It's not a nice to have anymore. And to be honest with you, it, it hasn't been for a few years, but COVID has really cemented the fact now that digital is an integral part of how we, we interact and has to be considered in the customer journey. So that's kind of scene setting of that. Just a little bit more context for you about Clarisys. Um, so we have about a decade of experience working with data and insight organizations such as Experian. Myself, I've worked in the information services industry for almost that time, about eight years um, myself. And the majority of what we do in the last decade has been digital. I would say like earlier on in my career, there were bits that were digital. Now everything has a digital aspect and customer experience particularly is prevalent. Gone are the days of implementing an application because it makes things more effective and more efficient. You, imp you might still, that might still be the driver, but ultimately you cannot do that without considering how it impacts the experience. And people are well aware that things that you might do internally or operationally can impact the customer, even if you don't believe that they could. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means um, kind of directly for experience later on in this session. So as well as that, so we've done a lot of work with B2B organizations, um, which I guess is more similar to kind of the decision analytics um, part of Experian, but we've also done quite a lot of work with uh, B2C organizations, so insurers, some financial institutes that you might know, such as Starling Bank, for example. And, and we've done a lot of work with government. And government digitally, I think, adds a really interesting angle because a lot of your interactions digitally with government is frictionful. You probably don't want to be doing it. You have to do it. Um, and they're a good example of how they're trying to reduce friction in a frictionful journey. And we'll talk a little bit more about that um, when we, we go further into this session as well. So I guess that's some context setting for everyone, kind of Rasheen, and I guess people want to get into the nitty gritty of, um, of, of how they actually do some of this change. So yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in delving deeper into the link between customer experience and digital. Sure. So I guess I spoke a little bit about this in the introduction, um, but it's not now a nice to have interacting digitally. It's an absolute fundamental need. 
it's as much as you need to eat and drink through the day. You need to be able to contact somebody digitally. It would be a very, very strange circumstance, for example, if you worked with a company, the only way you can interact with them is to physically go to where they are and speak to them. So I think probably that's not a surprise to everyone. We know that. But are we considering that in all of the interactions that we have of offering a digital alternative to how we interact with those customers? So you probably couldn't really, as I said, imagine any scenario where you didn't interact digitally, but that digitalness is self-service in some ways as well. Maybe people don't connect those two things together. Like how far through the journey can I get without talking to someone? And the introverts amongst us are probably eager to continue that journey as long as they possibly can without speaking to somebody because it provides anxiety. It's a new phase. You don't know about it. So you see this quite a lot. For example, you could book your holiday or hotel without speaking to anyone now. 30 years ago, you might go into a kind of travel agency and you talk to someone about it. You don't do that. You do your own research. You work out where you want to go. You work out what you want to do. And people are doing that in like kind of their everyday lives with things like that. But now they expect to be doing that in their working life as well. You don't have to speak to someone to understand something. You want to be able to research it yourself, understand what products and services are available to you, and be able to make informed choices on what you do. And ultimately, for Experian and organizations like you, the way to do that is to consider the journey of a user from that awareness kind of state all the way through to using and consuming the products, which parts of that can kind of they interact with. Um, so I think kind of something to consider here as well is are there any interactions today where you could say there is no way that this would be digital? So I'll give you an example, or Rasheen, do you want to give me an example? Yeah, no, I was just going to say um, to everybody listening, we were trying to think of one yesterday, weren't we, when we were doing some planning. And uh, yeah, if anybody on the call can think of a scenario where we couldn't use digital as an option, love to hear it, but I, we couldn't think of one. Even, even funeral, so, you know, with COVID and the funeral numbers, you can watch funerals online, which is something you would never have expected pre, pre-COVID. Uh, David Gallagher going to church, like he, yeah, he's regular church going. Um, yeah, so but you can you can watch church services online now. Yeah, so even things where you might think that's just something that is going to be impossible, like church is an interesting, I guess, use case over COVID for something which had to completely change its perception. So digital kind of search services, you're right. But even before then, you probably, for those of you who attend church or any other kind of religious communities, there are elements of it which are self-service. You can find out what time services are on. You could probably find some of the readings or the sermons online that were said. So still elements of that journey, even if you wouldn't believe it, are self-service. And I think that kind of is quite telling, therefore, that if you're not doing self-service uh, or digital in, in certain parts of um, your, your industry or your organization, um, you're kind of behind. So, it, and, and we'll get onto this a little bit more in general. It's not to say that any of the physical things that you do are not required or they're not needed. It's, it's just digital is an expectation that everyone has now. Um, so I guess the kind of follow on from this really is, okay, we know we now know that customers' perceptions are changing, their expectations of digital is increasing, but how do we apply digital into a kind of customer experience? Uh, so, in, sorry, into- you, you may not be able to see the chat, but Tree has asked, um, and this is this is a good one from Tree, but she said you can't get a haircut digitally. <laughs> 
you, you can't, but again, COVID, for example, is a good one about that. Many barbers and hairdressers, you couldn't, you'd have to call them up to book appointments, um, but it was mandated that you had to book in advance. And many barbers use self-service capability to do that. Now you're right, the actual fulfillment of the service, the haircut itself is, is fulfilled physically, of course. But many components of the, the, the service itself so knowing you get a reminder, for example, that you need to go, uh, you're able to see what slots are available, you could choose your barber. There's no human contact in many of those scenarios anymore. But yeah, no, that that is a good one. I think that that brings the good point of just because a product is fulfilled physically, so let's say something like attending a football match, doesn't mean, or a haircut in this case, doesn't mean that actually there's not lots of wrapper around that, which is, uh, which is the self-service kind of component. Thank you for that, Teresa, though. So yeah, we're gonna move on now to how do we make the best use of digital to improve customer experience? Um, and we've got a model where we think about a number of factors. Um, so I'll talk through some of those and how digital helps to enhance those things. So the four factors that we think about are brand, personalization, touch points, and choice. So brand, so brand isn't just a marketing thing in isolation. It's not just color schemes or tone of voice in isolation either, but that's probably how you see it. Um, the best example I think about brand is an organization like Monzo. Now they are well regarded in the industry as being very customer centric and as we all know, digital led. But something that they do really well is they're very true to their brand. Um, and I can probably share some of this material with you afterwards, but um, th they are, experts in creating friction intentionally in journeys because it's quite difficult to follow financial processes without having to do some things that are painful so similar to the kind of citizen experience i spoke about before um, but the reason why that's quite telling is because they're just they're true to themselves in the way they do it they're like look we don't want to have to ask you this but it's important that we do ask you this and we care about this so things like um kind of anti, uh, what's the word? So when people get restricted from betting, for example, like anti-gambling type rulings, they were honest about that. Like we're doing this because like it's the right thing to do. And all of that comes across in all of their interactions. They have a little bit of fun as well in their interactions. So for example, you can apply gifts to payments, but all of the journey and the experience, they think about the consistency of their brand in how it feels to act with them. And it's not about just the color scheme, the tone of voice. It's so much more than that. It's the way you interact with someone. It's the personality effectively that comes across in that experience. So brand applies to everyone in all functions in how you interact and clarity on that is really important. Like what do you want the customer to feel? And uh, each of these interactions help in enforce the customer feeling that way when they interact with the experience, which makes people feel happy and, and and want to work with an organization if, that, if, it's, if it has a very strong, consistent message like that. So that's the first one, brand. Um, the second one, personalization. So this isn't new. We talked about this previously as well. You expect a personal touch and you previously will have done that um, through personal interaction, personal relationships with, with people. And you may have done that through speaking to different people, but you might record some information in your uh, CRM customer relationship management system, for example, and you use that information. In a digital world, that needs to be way more real time. 
people are interacting with you and they don't want to have to trawl through reams of information to get to things they need. Like time is very, very valuable now and therefore they expect you to know about them and tailor content to them. Now we'll get to choice in a minute because there's a bit of a balance between the two. But the more that you know about someone, the more you can tailor content to them and the more powerful that is for you because it channels your customers to the right kind of information quicker, which means their dealings with you are simpler. Um, it's also a bit like a warm hug in some ways, like, oh, you really know me, you really understand me. Like, it makes you feel more comfortable doing business um, and buying products and services for someone if you feel like they're like you or they understand you and, and, and they've appreciated your needs and considerations. They're thinking about it from, from your point of view. Uh, the next one is touch points. So, you, many people would design customer experience and say, well, the customer talks to us here, here, and here. The real challenge of this, particularly digitally, is do you really understand where the customer actually interacts with you at different points? So often what organizations will do is something called customer journey mapping, for example, where you get a true picture of the different parts of the journey where a customer might talk to you. And obviously those can be very different. Um, and you might draw this perfect picture of all of the touch points, but in reality, the customers don't talk to any of those points. But the key to doing an exercise like customer journey mapping, which we've we've done with Experian, you've, you've done in other projects as well before, um, to understand, is this a really critical moment? And in the industry, we call that a moment that matters. So do we have to get this right? Otherwise, we're going to lose the customer, we're going to upset them, they're going to complain, they're not going to do business with us, they're not going to endorse us. Um, or is this a moment where we didn't even realize it was actually really a touch point. So a good example of that is um, somebody would walk into a, a physical site, for example. You don't record that they visited. They tried to look for someone. Let's say they went to see an account manager. They weren't there. They went away. That's a touch point, but you have no idea that that was a touch point. So the other critical part of this is trying to work out like, where they could interact with you and how that experience diminishes it. So. For, it's quite unusual, for example, in a more physical sense, that the receptionist sees himself as being a critical part of the journey. And digitally, it's even more interesting because people can search and consume content and things about Experian in a number of ways, and you can't predetermine those things. Um, so it's really important, I guess, to try and understand what the customer is doing and therefore what touch points they might use, what channels, like what you are putting out there and how the customer interacts with them and designing that in a much more intentional manner. And we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail in a moment um, for experience use case specifically. Uh, the final aspect is choice or flexibility. So I, I quite like this one because it depolarizes some concerns with moving to more digital experience, which is digital is not getting rid of physical. Digital is offering customers choice. And it's really important that you do offer customers choice because they get frustrated by that. It's annoying Like you, you want to be able to interact with someone in the way you want to interact with someone. You also, in an ideal world, want to be able to buy the kind of product that you want to buy. It's frustrating if you're forced through a certain journey or you're forced to buy something in a certain way. And you could relate this, for example, to let's say you need some milk. You would go to the supermarket and your options might be skimmed, semi-skimmed, whole milk. You could buy one pint of milk, two pints of milk, six pints of milk. Imagine if you can only buy one pint of milk, which in the olden days you used to be able to only buy one pint of milk. That would be quite frustrating and it wouldn't meet your needs. But by some providers offering choice, it's now a necessity to offer choice. Like you would 
it's a bizarre circumstance there to do that. Um, just, just as sorry, I don't know if you can hear the noise in the background. Um, just as now the um, like digitally as well, the way in which you can consume a service. So let's use the milk example again. You could get it delivered to your door. You could go and pick it up from a supermarket in a regular weekly shop, or you could get it every day if you wanted by popping down to your local store. There are lots of options as to how you get that product and get that service. And customers like that, and they're more likely to interact with you if they have some control over the choice. Now, there's a balance to be struck here. What you don't want to do is give them 400 ways of buying milk. You give them enough choice, but not so much that it's complicated and confusing to the consumer as well. So there is a bit of a balance to be had there. The supermarket's interesting, isn't it? And I live in a, um, a fairly large village. We've got a Tesco's local. You can get enough groceries, but it's not a big shop. It's not a trolley supermarket. And um, on the previous call, Jeremy Mason was mentioning how he sees an age divide between who uses online portals and who doesn't. And it's the same in the supermarket. So if I'm there and it's busy, you have a younger generation using the self-service checkout and you have the older guys or, or the older people or perhaps the smokers who's queuing up to actually speak to somebody so they can get their, they can get their cigarettes or just actually they don't want to deal with a robot. They don't want the machines. They want to have the human beings. But what you've got there is a single buying experience, but two very different experience needs being met there by using technology where it's suitable, but still keeping that friendly face and the conversation there the front. The um, yeah, we did some research actually. Um, it was with Nuffield Health, and we were trying to survey uh, some of their patients. Um, and we found that there's a kind of cutoff to digital adoption, and that cutoff becomes where people are used to using technology in their working life, because in some essence you're forced in in the way you work. Your company uses certain technology. You need to use certain technologies. You're used to that. There becomes a divide at some point where people leave work and they're not forced and therefore they make their own choices and often they're less likely to interact digitally. I think it's interesting for kind of experience because most of your customer base will for a B, the B2B products and decision analytics will be um, of working age and therefore they're very used to interacting digitally. So from my point of view I think any expectation that users don't want to interact digitally is unlikely to be true. Now we need to, I would suggest going to do some surveying to find that out. What we will probably end up with is you have a proportion of users who like to interact digitally a lot of the time and some that like to interact digitally some of the time. We'll probably find that we have very few users who'd like to interact digitally none of the time, but it, it's possible. But in any case, I guess back to the choice and flexibility, we need a journey where it allows the user, if they want to self-serve, they can. If they want to talk to somebody, they can. Now, in certain circumstances, operationally, we might limit where they can do those things, but that's more of an operational cost limit than it is uh, by customer experience design, I would say. Okay, so we've, we've talked about brand, um, personalization, touch points, choice. Was there anything else to your model? I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, I'm interested in getting to how that model model works for us in Experian. And you know, we have to, we have worked on two projects together, Clarisis and Experian. Um, and I've been really impressed with the work that you've delivered. I think it's going to make massive improvements to the way that we sell and the way that we onboard. So, um, and and again, everybody on the call, if you're interested in hearing more about those projects, and you know, Tom, feel free to elaborate. But I can certainly share more information um, and how we can perhaps expand it out into your your own bit pockets of the business. 
business. Um, but yeah, what does what does all of this mean to us, and how does that model apply to here as here as Experian? Sure. So I think something that's really important um, just before we get into thing is the intention of the experience, um, and in order to get like an, a, a consistent customer journey, that often means removing silos of um, different functions because a customer doesn't experience marketing or sales. They experience researching some products and then talking to an individual. To them, that's all one. It also doesn't experience necessarily order fulfillment versus negotiation with the salesperson. It just sees, or sorry, they just see like a selection of uh, interactions together. So intention of understanding the customer journey. So some of the work, as Rishi mentioned, that we've done with Experian before is to get a picture of what that journey is and join together different functions who potentially didn't consider how those different touch points might affect something further downstream or what the customer actually jumps between doing something that's marketing versus something that's sales versus something that's onboarding versus something that's fulfillment, for example. So getting the picture of what that is and then suggesting areas where they could be improved um, is some of the work that we've done. So in doing that, so I think the first aspect we talked about was brand. So you actually have a quite a challenge here, I would say, because Experian is well known for being a data and a tech organization. And whether that th this is by design or not, your customers are going to expect you to be pretty literate and have a good grasp of data. So if they come and interact with you and the experience they get through the purchasing, onboarding and service cycle is not that, it's unlikely that they're going to be filled with um, encouragement and excitement of using the products, which they perceive to be an advanced tech and data product. The wrapper of the service they experience is not that. It was, it's, it's, it's been a little bit embarrassing at times how, um, you know, historically how lacking our client user experience is. And I think it, it's almost like you, you design these amazing products that people want what you don't want them to feel is that they're using it because functionally it's a good product, but they just feel like kind of wanting more about the experience. They're doing it because they feel they have to, not because they feel they want to and it's the right thing for them to do. So I guess that whole brand of giving them a really digital driven data led uh, approach throughout the buying cycle, I would say will increase conversion of your products. Ultimately, you're losing people because they, they aren't filled with confidence about those kind of experiences because it translates. Now, I think now the exercise that really has happened is what do you want your customers to think of experience? Like what is the brand you're putting across? And then overlaying that onto the touch points you have today. So does our brand come across that we are, we handle data securely, for example, in some of the other interactions that they might have with you before the buying journey? Does it come across that you're an innovative tech organization that offers market leading products in the interaction that they have with you? And a self-service experience digitally is a great way to start offering that um, because they'll, they'll get a flavor of what it's like to, to use the products. And the better the self-service capability therefore is, the more likely they would be to, to go on to uh, potentially purchase a product. So that's brand. Um, the next one is personalization. Um, so I think you actually have one of the problems that many organizations do as well, which is you've got loads of great content, a lot of great content, 
working out what's relevant to different users though needs some kind of consistency in its thought and i know there's already work going on to do this and i think you're kind of going on the right trajectory there but as i said if i'm a user i want to read as little as possible to as quickly as possible get an understanding of the products and services which are on offer um so from that point of view it's working out who the users are so what are their personas how would they buy from you what kinds of things do they buy what's their job roles and tailoring that content so that it relates to their journey and initially to be honest with you that doesn't need to be kind of some all bells and whistles kind of fancy solution you could take them through a kind of bit more like oh you're interested in this does that mean you're this kind of person yes okay well might you might be interested in reading in this and you could email that to them you could do that digitally online but i think taking them through some more tailored journey so they're not kind of in their mind navigating a, a quagmire of different pieces of content that they're not 100 percent sure how they relate to them so moving to more of a kind of customer centric personalization rather than a product centric personalization like we sell this do you want this it should actually be you do this role and we have this great product that helps you do this role and taking you through the whole experience so onboarding through to service and use focusing around we know that you're that individual and therefore you use our products in this way and therefore you need this support from us so really getting ahead of what your customers are going to ask you and what they need i do have one example of this as well you you actually need to go quite overboard on this uh, and I was actually having a debate with a, a colleague in, um, in the pub last week about it's a bit stupid that parcel tracking companies tell you that it's your parcel's in Romford and now it's in this depot and now it's in this depot because you don't care. And you don't. But the reason they do that is not that you actually care where it is, it shows progress, which builds confidence that my parcel's getting closer to me. Like that makes me feel more less anxious and, 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 and more secure in the fact eventually my parcel will arrive um, so that kind of um, over egging some of the information that you give to your, your customers as well just gives that sense of confidence and you could do that with products that you have experience. like where are you in your onboarding process oh you're here and now you're here and you're gonna be here you're like okay come on it's happening we're getting there I'm confident we're making progress what you don't want is void of nothing then you have to chase and now it's like, oh, it's going to be another week and you just don't know what's going on. So I think it's also worth considering that, that actually oversharing and having a digital self-service ability to do that is the easiest way gives customers that confidence. The, the next factor we talked about was choice, uh, touch points, sorry, actually. Um, so I think what's happening at the moment is some great work is being done on specific areas of journeys and we've, as we've been talking about before Rashim, we've been working with kind of onboarding for example um, of uh, PCCA and other um, kind of parts of the journey of sales and marketing as well but one of the things I think is a bit of a challenge is the accidental touch points um, so that complete view of what goes on in the customer I think will really help or what goes on in the customer's journey will really help and doing a bit of that like next level down that i was suggesting so in the physical example of the receptionist do they know they're impacting the customer experience i'm really trying to understand what those touch points are so like some posts go out on twitter for example people might read those like how does that impact their ability to, to continue with their sales cycle so getting a really clear and good picture of, of the real customer journeys end to end and trying to unpick the hidden ones I think it's probably um, quite a challenge for experience and some, something which you guys should focus on. And then the, the one we talked about before is choice. So I spoke about this initially. I think it's quite a challenge for B2B software 
um, functions and providers particularly the balance of choice and many organizations offer or may almost too much flexibility in the products you can buy whereas moving digitally you're moving more on to things like the customers can see the products maybe they have a rough idea of cost it's quite easy for them to work out oh i i buy this product and then i need this add-on so giving them some choice but making it very clear and simple into what they're buying and how that relates to their use case um, and also that will help further down the journey as well. So in the onboarding cycle, for example, like if you've got something highly bespoke, it's very complicated for you as an organization to support that. Whereas if you've got something which is a bit more building block, it's easier for you to, to do that. So moving to a model which gives the customer some flexibility in plug and play, but is not too much flexibility so that everything is a bespoke kind of implementation or a bespoke way of offering the product. Um, so some, I, I, there are probably lots of areas of choice, but that's one example I've seen uh, where, where I think some work could be done. So um, just, I'll just probably di dive into a little bit more detail of the two projects that we've worked just for everybody on the call. So um, within DA, we've engaged with Clarisys on two fronts. So first of all, we looked at the sales process on SaaS products um, because we feel that, you know, moving to cloud first um, and also looking at the numbers and our expectations of what the amount of solutions that we need to deliver, um, we need to get better at A, selling and B, onboarding. So we had Clarisys in um, nearly 12 months ago. They did some analysis on our pre-sales journey for PCCA, uh, always with the intention that the findings could be transferable across different, pro different cloud-based products. Um, and off the back of that, we are just about to push the button on a pilot um, in both Netherlands and UK with some PCCA pipeline clients where we're going to give them access to a personalised sales journey um, within my experience. So when the client logs into my experience, they'll see three folders um, and it helps them understand more about the product. So maybe there's a mix of marketing, sales and product content in one of the folders, but actually we've then got um, information about what it means to onboard or sign the contract. There's templated contracts in there so they can start reading the T's and C's. There's uh, example project plans. Um, there's the uh, business rules uh, templates in there so that they, the customer can have access to that and self-serve the content and through the, through the sales process, the the account team and the consultancy team have said, actually, if this we don't want it to deflect all of the questions. We still want to be in there. Um, but what it's going to stop us doing is drip feeding the content to customers or preempting when's the right stage. The customer can get it when they want. Um, and even if it deflects, you know, even if it's just one question, it deflects because they can self-serve. Actually, that's freeing us up to have a more meaningful engagement with the customer. And then more recently, we've continued that analysis and we've looked at the onboarding journey for PCCA. So again, lots and lots of areas that we can provide more better access to customers of the regular content that we need to provide. So we provide, we take customers through the same cycle for PCCA onboarding. It should be turnkey and repetitive. So it's understanding those those magic moments or um, you know the, the key customer touch points that we do need to make sure that we check in with them and say, are you okay? Um, but understanding where we can take a step back and just let the digital channels push that information and allow the customer to self-serve. So, kind of, so that's two areas where we are starting to explore about how we drive benefits. So we've got pilots about to start with pre-sales. Onboarding, we're not there yet for piloting. Um, but how else can we start to drive 
um, benefits into our organisation? How can we make a difference? Sure, and the examples you picked is exactly how I would suggest implementing some of these things, as I'm sure you already know. But I mean, I guess the context here is nobody's going to design and deliver a perfect digital customer experience first time. And to be honest with you, you could spend a lot of time and money trying to do that. The big thing about customer experience is it is affecting people immediately. So get stuff out there and try it. So kind of this iterative approach of test and learn when you're dealing with customers is essential because something which sounds like a good idea when it actually comes to reality might not be. And actually, although the customer is always right is a phrase you hear, the customer has ideas just like we have ideas. And some of those ideas might actually turn out to be good things. So you listen to the customer, you try to build something that fulfills their need, but ultimately you need to test whether it actually does or not. So this iterative test and learn approach is what we'd kind of suggest, uh, Rasheen. So, um, gone are the days of kind of these rapid, lengthy digital transformation kind of programs that don't deliver anything. So let's go and do a little test, a little MVP. Like I said, you're doing something in the Netherlands there. See if that works. Is that relatable to other markets and personas? Let's expand it out um, and really kind of learn. And also it, what it does, it avoids you designing a customer experience on paper looks great, but actually ends up being quite clunky because you, you implement something and you can test it. Does that looking good? Let's measure the KPIs, the metrics, things are improving, great. Let's add something else on, it's improving. Let's add something else, oh, things are going down. Let's take that away again. So it ensures that you don't have these ramps in investment and potentially dips in performance. And it's, yeah, it's so tempting just to wait until everything's finished and you've got the perfect solution, isn't it? And uh, something I think Experian has fallen into the trap of doing before, but definitely not our intention. We want to do it small. We want to get the client feedback. And, and really, and I'm going to put you on the spot with this question. So how do you measure performance? How do you measure the success of these pilots? So a lot of people, when customer experience, will have the obvious metrics. So let's measure NPS, customer satisfaction, customer effort score. You should measure those, but ultimately it's actually more leading indicators to these things. So it's things like how much time are people spending on your site delivering actual usable tasks versus how much time are they spending on your site just kind of browsing around. And in an ideal world, you would then kind of, you'd want them to spend as little time as they needed to, to get the answers that they wanted. So the kind of metrics that you might measure, for example, is like average time to fulfill a certain task. And your defined task is things like, I want to find some product information about a product. So how long do they have to spend on the site to find that? And those things, which are more leading indicators, give you a picture of whether you're actually improving the experience or not. And obviously the real metrics that you would be looking for are ultimately going to be things like conversion and retention. But those things take a little bit more time. So I guess from my point of view, there's kind of three angles. There's the actually working out, like, have I made the experience better in that physical part of the journey? So measuring the tasks and um, kind of the, the time they're spending doing things. Um, the satisfaction that they have doing it. So that is customer sat or customer effort score is used a lot more now. And you can you can ask them at the moment they're doing it. So doing some, how is this going for you? And there's non-annoying a manner as you can. And then ultimately, longer term, you are then looking at your, your kind of business performance indicators of are you retaining more customers? Are you converting more? Is your cost of sale reducing? Um, is your um, your your size of deal increasing? Those kinds of things. Because ultimately, customer experience is to make your business more, more effective, more profitable, and your services more in demand. So those are the key indicators, ultimately. Thank you. 
Um, so we've got one more question left, but just before I ask you that, I'm going to open the um, Q&A. So if anybody wants to start adding questions into the chat, um, then we can get to them in a moment. But um, my final question for you, Tom, is what would what should our audience take away from this? And we've got a variety of different disciplines on the call, so um, not all of them are working in the digital team or have really had much exposure with digital before. So what's the ask on everybody listening? Sure. So customer experience, we obviously have to understand the customer. So you'll see lots of meetings with people who have different opinions of what things should be. That's OK, but is that driven by what we actually know the customer wants? So challenge yourselves. Do you really know the customer thinks about this? Do you really know what the customer does? And if you don't, can you find out ways to try and find out that information? So you have user research functions, for example, or if you're in the sales team, you can talk to customers. In the service teams, you probably could. Have you got those channels where you really understand the customer? And therefore, it's not an individual's opinion. It's based on real data of what your customers want. Um, the other thing is different people want different things. Are you sure in your mind of what those things are? Are those written down for your products um, in your functions? And you can look at it kind of in functional silos in some ways. So like, what do different customers expect of us in service, for example? What do customers expect of us in onboarding? So are you thinking about the kind of tailoring, that flexibility point that I made before? Um, the other thing is physical and digital complement each other. They shouldn't fight with each other. It's really important to keep remembering about that. So it's not one or other, it's, it can be both. And so let's say you're having a physical interaction with a, with a customer, you can point them to a digital one. Or if they're struggling with a digital interaction, it points them to a physical one. So be thinking about the fact that it's not a one or other, like it's, it's an ecosystem of touch points and some of those are digital and some of those are physical. Um, the other thing is customers' expectations move very, very fast, particularly currently technology um, is accelerating rapidly, as we all know, and the ways in which we interact, personalization we experience is changing. So what you thought last month might actually be different to what you, what should you be thinking about this month. So open mind, iterate, keep improving. And that's why we were saying before, Rasheen, the final point from my point of view is get stuff out there. Don't be afraid if it's not right. Let's test stuff. Um, because even if it was right at some point, it might not be in the future because things change so fast. So the only way you can really be sure um, is, is, is to get stuff out there and accept the fact that sometimes it might not be right. That's OK, because you haven't made a huge investment to achieve that. So take some risks, I would say, in getting some stuff out there to smaller groups of users at, at first, and then you can iterate on that. And do we let, do we let our customers know that they're early adopters of these new concepts? Absolutely. And I would go and ask them if they want to be. And many like like being involved. They really do like being involved. And honesty and transparency is very, very important in any relationship with anyone, by the way, but particularly with your customers. So, yeah, be open about it. Hey, we're trying this thing. It's new. You see it, you know, on like government sites, they have to do it now where it says this is in beta. Do you want to be one of our early adopters or not? Like, yeah. Those things is really important to be open about that. Yeah. I always say yes when I see that. I'm, what, the, what are they up to? So I'm nosy. <laughs> okay, thank you. That was a great session. Um, so just uh, if anybody has any questions, feel free to unmute yourself. Uh, hi, it's David Gallihall. Uh, yeah, great session, Tom. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> a provocation around personas. Mm -hmm. um, 
Aren't they quite antiquated? The idea that you want to bucket millions of user needs into three or four, you know, David and Roisin and Tom. You talk about personalization, if you want ultra personalization, how do you get from a persona to that? Sure. And I think like, so personas are definitely not a new thing. Like they've been used in marketing, for example, for a very, very long time. I think the key is Tom, who's 32 and is a city goer, does exist as a person. But what we're not trying to do is work out that every male 32 year old who lives in London is exactly like me in that scenario. That is not actually what we're trying to do. And I think a lot of people fall into the trap of trying to do that. What we're almost trying to do is get a picture of the most common ways in which people might interact. So the persona is some, so for example, it's not the fact that somebody is old necessarily that they don't want to interact with you digitally. The fact is there is a persona out there where they're a bit more resistive digitally. How do we handle that, let's call it use case? Personas help to bring some of that to life. The other thing which they do as well is keep you thinking about the fact that there is a person. I think the challenge that everyone gets a little bit lost into um, that is an actual persona of someone and we're building for that exact thing, which you're not. You're just trying to remember that there's an individual at the end and does what you've built work for an individual that is like that. They're not they're not real in essence, but it helps you to kind of imagine it from a, a real user's point of view by having that persona. But yes, uh, to your original point, David, it's not about kind of bucketing people into these things. You don't end up with, let's say you have four personas and you have four journeys. What you'll do is have four personas you'll have a journey and you're like does this work for this mix of personas like am i catering for the needs of people who might be like this in reality it's not that polarized there are not only four types of people um in the world in that case does that answer your question david wonderful Okay, so we don't have any other questions. Um, so that was a really informative session. Um, what I would say just again to everybody on the call, if you're interested in hearing more about how Clarisys can help in your business unit or interested in looking at some of the work that they've done with uh, with DA um, around the PCCA product and how that might map out into the products that you work with, feel free to reach out to me and I can do a deep dive with you on some of that content. So yeah, great session. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you so much for inviting me. And yeah, as you say, feel free to contact me if you've got any follow up questions afterwards. Happy to help. So that's the end of our little podcast for today. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, it would be great to hear from you. In any case, I hope you found it interesting and have had a little respite from your day and uh, hopefully clocked up a few extra steps. Look out for our next podcast dropping soon on Horizon. Thanks.